and the switch is up and the green light is on. About three or four years ago, um, uh, we went to Leaders' Conference in Brighton and uh, we listened to a man whose name I have mentioned here before, um, a man named Grady McMurtry. And although I don't want you to remember the name, um, some of the things, he was talking about creation, he was talking about the flood, and uh, he was talking other sorts of things that are in the Bible. And, um, and, and the basis of what he was saying, he was using simple phrases out of the Bible that we sort of pass over sometime to explain creation and Noah's flood, if you like, the time when God flooded the earth. And um, he said, he, he, was, he was explaining what it was like before the flood and he was explaining what it was like after the flood. Now, uh, just to catch up, that at the time when God flooded the earth, and God did flood the earth, God puts his hand up to that, it was an act of judgment for two things. A, because the sin of the world had come up before him, and he couldn't, he had, God had to do something about it. For man's sake, the wickedness came up before God. And sometimes we look at it, you know, as if the punishment side of it. And there was a sense, there was a sense of God has taken judgment over this earth and say, I'm sorry, this is what God said, I'm sorry that I made man. Because man had been so horrible and created, did all sorts of things. Their sexual depravity was beyond understanding. And even now we can see things working out in society. If sexual depravity goes on as it is today, it be, can be the downfall of the human race. So in a sense, God flooded the earth. But it was a cataclysmic thing that happened at that time. A cataclysmic thing. And this, this, this man, Grady McMurch, he was telling us um, the time of the flood, and he explained what the earth was like before the flood. And um, scientists have backed this up. And our world, this earth, is made up of a crust. Like if you take like an eggshell, it's a sort of a, a firm surface to it. And um, that crust is three miles thick. And under the crust of the Earth's surface, there was an expanse of water another three miles deep. And um, at the time of the flood, the crust broke and the top three-mile layer dropped three miles to the bottom. We noticed in the reports this week, they talked about the epicentre of the earthquake, which I forget the correct word that they used, but they sort of called it a lesser earthquake but it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out like a lesser earthquake. It's lesser because it's deep down. And he said the epicentre was six miles deep. It was six miles deep. That's where it started, right down in the ocean. Now, without going through all the details we heard, because I can't even remember them now, but the other thing that the scientists had worked out 
And if you, before I go on to that, if you look at our maps, you will see that different parts of this, different parts of this land, this British Isles, which actually fit into the coast of France, to be broken apart like a jigsaw. And so it, it, it's pretty evident that the crust theory is right. But the other interesting thing that, uh, that he said was this. They'd actually pinpointed the place where the crust of the earth had started to break apart. And they traced it back to Caesarea, Philippi, the place where Jesus stood in front of Peter and said, who do men say that I am? He said, you're the son of the living God. Now, I'm not putting that forward as a theory, as a theological point, but what I'm saying is, but I just want to create some sort of leap with the, with the things that have happened in Haiti and Peter and the letter that he wrote to the early Christians. And so, you know, as we look at these things, we sort of take these things into our mind. The earthquakes that we experience today are the result of God's judgment on the earth because the plates are still shifting. They haven't finally settled into place, but they're still shifting. And so this should cause us to say, God is there, he's in control, he knows what he's doing, and he's aware of all things that are going on. And you say, well, where is God? Well, how can a God of love do this? But also, how can a God of love give his only son to die for the world because he said he loves the world so much? We have made a mess of this earth, and it's right that we should make every step to look after this world. God said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and look after it. But we haven't, in a sense, because sin came in, and it is the why the earth is suffering, because of the sin that man brought upon the earth. There's a phrase in the Bible said when, when God flooded the earth, it says the fountains of the deep broke forth. You've probably read that in scripture. The fountains of the deep broke forth. And so as the crust of the earth breaks apart, the fountains of the deep come up and the crust goes to the bottom. And so we're reminded in Haiti today that God has actually put his hand up to the earthquakes. But not only that, Jesus talked about them in the Bible. But I just want to start off before we begin to look at Peter and, and look in the second part. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Peter? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone 
that he was the Christ. But Peter had come to this unique place in his life and in history and the defining point of his future. Have you come to the defining point of your future? Jesus, you are the son of the living God. You're the one who died for me. You're the one who gave your life for me. And the guy that was talking to us, that thing, he said it was almost as if God stuck a stake in the earth that broke the crust apart. That's how the scientists have explained it. That's not how it necessarily was or is. We have to believe what the scientists say. I haven't got that sort of capability. But he said the flood was started almost as if God drove a stake into the ground and said, now reply to that. And if that is true, and I'm not saying it is, if that is true, and that's the place did, it says for Peter, the stake was driven in to his life. Has the stake been driven into your life and into my life? Is it that defining moment, that defining moment when things have changed and we've come into the reality of knowing God through Jesus Christ? So those are just a few starters and points. And we must read Peter. Let's turn to Peter with holding in our minds who Peter is, the commission God gave to him, And what Jesus said about him, what Jesus said about Peter, he said, when you turn back, this is after after Peter had failed Jesus by disowning him and dishonouring him in his life. Jesus said to him, and when you turn back, Peter, strengthen my brethren. Strengthen my brethren. And that's largely what we see Peter doing in 1 Peter. further on actually than that and it's before that there we go 1 Peter 1 and verse 12 that starts off with a very interesting word John brought to us uh, last time these opening verses and this section begins with with therefore so it means on the basis of what Peter has been saying now this is what I present to you this is what I'm saying to you yes times are difficult and I want to just try and unpack that a little bit and just to try and understand how difficult that is which brings us a little bit understanding to how difficult it is for the Haitians at the moment entitled be holy You'll notice the songs that John's chosen this morning very largely been around the themes and the thoughts being brought out in this letter. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I'm holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead, and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have see that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every, of every kind. And like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thank you. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Haitian people, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Probably not. In many areas. Maybe for us this morning, we've got those doubts about all this Christianity, about all this stuff. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, if you knocked this one on the head, the difference between election and free will, have you knocked it on the head yet? Have you sorted it out? Well, I'm not going to go down that road this morning. But I was just thinking about it yesterday. Well, it nearly became a battle scene at our cell in the week, so we just <laughs> thought we'd leave it. Uh, <laughs> but as I was thinking about it, because it's that important... I thought about water. Isn't water lovely? Isn't it a wonderful thing? Do you know the earth never loses a drop? Never loses a drop of water. Water is so vital to life. It's so wonderful. God flooded the earth with it too. But uh, you know it can be held... It's, it's, it's fantastic stuff, isn't it, really? It could be held in steam, which has been used for power. It can be held in steam and be used to drive big machines, not used so much now. Then if you any lads ever used to have the old Meccano set steam, I always wanted the steam engine but never had it. Too expensive in my day. But water can be like that. But also as we've just seen just lately, water can be rigid and hard. It can be held in two different sorts of ways, as ice and there's vapour, and it all can, sort of can be water as well, something in between. And I thought about election and free will, and I thought it just helped me a little bit to understand something about it. Things which are different, but they're the same. Things which help us to understand the mysteries of God. It's like believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Son of Man. 
there is an irreconcilable part of that mystery. A holy mystery, if we like, that we, we will never come to grasp with or grips with trying to understand it. But it, they're both wonderful truths. And it's like water. They're both wonderful things. Ice could be held and be used as enjoyment and it could be dangerous. And water can be held as vapour. And yet, in its other blessing, it is life-giving. It is life-giving. And so, as we... As you think about that, I'm not going to touch it this morning, but uh, that just helped me to understand it. A little time ago, um, Fred, when Fred was preaching, he said, um, I, I learned something. I want to just preach this morning on a framework I heard, and it was this. The story, the problem, and the point. Do you remember that, Fred? What is the story? What is the problem? And what is the point? And as we read through the, if we read through Peter, we'd say, what is the story? What is the story? Well, let's begin in Matthew 24. Jesus is prophesying in the present about the future as both a warning and instruction of how how to practically deal with the impending war in Jerusalem, along with its temple that would be destroyed. Whilst there were many miraculous stories of God's protection, the people needed to act on the advice of Jesus when the things came to pass which Jesus was talking about. Maybe some people didn't appreciate the validity of Jesus' words. Peter's letter was written in the year 64. In the same year, which was six years before the fall of Jerusalem, Nero was perpetrating the persecution of Christians. Things were hotting up in and around Jerusalem. The Jews were in revolt and taking things into their own hands, which was lastly the last weapon they had, and it was a losing battle. Those who attempted to avoid the onset of tribulation made for other countries and began to be dispersed. What the Bible identifies as a dispersion would actually come into fulfilment proper after Peter had preached his fantastic message on the day of Pentecost and the new Christian community was persecuted and it was shattered as it was scattered. The new Christian community was shattered and scattered. The Bible calls that the dispersion. When people migrated out of trouble... And some of them, many of them, migrated on the acting on what Jesus had said. He said, when you see these things coming to pass, get out. And so the people did. And he told them how to do it and when to do it. And so the people were dispersed. But also these things were hotting up. The war of Jerusalem was coming on. And that day which Jesus spoke so surely about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. You can see the temperature rising. You can see the moods changing. You can see the people just taken up with the whole unsettlement of what was happening. It was going to become a time of great tribulation. It's a fair assumption to say it is the people experiencing this forced migration that Peter is writing to. So what would it, would, would it, 
what would it have been like? And it's difficult for us to understand, just like it's difficult for us to understand what it's like in Haiti this morning, today. And it's difficult for us to get into it, the experience of the people. And so we're talking about the story in that framework that Fred used once. The story, the problem. What is the problem? The problem's the story. The problem that the Christians were facing is the story of their lives. So what would it have been like? Jesus said there would be false prophets and other pretenders to the Messiah, which Jesus said there would be many. What does that do? That would create doubt in the heart of the Christian community. So here's the onset of doubt. Is this right? Is this wrong? Am I really experiencing this great salvation which God has given me? Jesus said, if you listen to these messiahs, you will go astray. If you listen to these false teachers and prophets, if you listen to them, your faith will be tried and tested. And you won't know where you are. So there was doubt. Then there was fear. There were various calamities which Josephus said the country was filled with violence. There were disorders and unrest in Alexandria, Caesarea, Damascus, Tyre, Ptolemy, and all over Syria. The Jews were rebelling against Rome. Italy was in turmoil. And within, four years, four Rome, within two years, four Roman emperors were removed from this earth. A bitter time of tribulation. That's a world away. We don't know what it's like. But there are still countries today, take the Christians in Iraq, for example. There's tribulation. There's fear. There's doubt. When we listen to Andrew White, he was explaining how in those dire situations, those abominable situations, the Christians were being held up by one thing, That was their faith in Jesus Christ. Working out their salvation, as one of the writers in the New Testament said, we need to do. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We love the joy. We love the exhortation. And we're a world away from what that experience is. There was uncertainty. Famine and pestilence, earthquake, were all recorded five years before AD 70 in Asia Minor, that's where these Christians were, and an extraordinary one, what does he mean by that? An extraordinary one, Joseph said, an extraordinary one in Judea. An extraordinary earthquake. Here are Christians in the face of danger and suffering. Largely, we live in an environment of certainty. We encourage one another, we build one another up, we read the word, we worship with all the beauty of our beings and we we worship so freely. Capitulation, fearful sights, Josephus records, fearful sights and great signs from heaven And both the Jews and the Romans were in agreement that these were both real and supernatural. People were in turmoil and they just capitulated their whole style of life. Left their places of work, left their homes, families split up, 
because there were fearful signs, many of them in the sky, in and around Jerusalem. What's this all about? Really, the bottom line, it's all about because Jesus died for the world. Darkness came over the whole earth. The whole universe was answering to the death of Jesus Christ. Persecution. This was started by Paul. <laughs> so glad he came to know Jesus Christ, or Jesus met him on the world, went on the road, and he was saved. He was born again. Where he went out and destroyed the church, he was now building it up. What a wonderful change. It is thought none of the apostles died a natural death except John. Each of them were martyred for their faith. You say, that's heavy stuff for this morning. Yes, it is heavy stuff. And sometimes we need to hold these things with reverent fear. It is also right, too, that we should be so joyful and so exuberant and so encouraged by one another. But this is where Peter is. He's trying to bring comfort to people in dire situations. If we look to the end of Peter's letter, we said, I write these things too, to you to encourage you. And say, so how on earth could they be encouraged in that sort of situation? One thing was the great salvation which they'd known through Jesus Christ. Earlier we read concerning this salvation, which the prophets looked into. They knew about, but they didn't understand. And the angels tried to look into it and understand. And the same word is used there, look into, as the disciples looking into the bewildered into the tomb and say, where's Jesus gone? What's happened? How can we explain this? So the angels look at what God's done and Jesus Christ. The universe has acknowledged what Jesus has done. The whole structure of things around bowed to the time when Jesus died. And all this happening in through the earth, this dispersion, the unsettling of people, is all, in actual fact, the result of the death of Jesus Christ. But he's in it. He's helping the people. He's encouraging them. He's trying to understand them. And Peter's saying, I want to encourage you, brothers. In the same year as Peter wrote this letter, Nero in Rome drove his chariot through rows of Christians laid out in the imperial garden, gardens wrapped in burning blankets to satisfy his own political agenda to be accepted, to be accepted by the people. Could you hear the cry? Jesus went to the cross so that he might be accepted by the people. He said, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. It's through the cross we come. It's through the cross we know the power. It's through our salvation in Jesus Christ that we know the answer. Then there was mutual betrayal. Christians came out of the woodwork in order to identify other Christians for slaughter. Could they trust each other? Could they depend on one another? Would they know the validity of brotherhood in Jesus Christ? 
I think somehow it would strength, should strengthen their faith. It would draw them together, just as tribulation and persecution does bring the kingdom of God to pass. It does bring people together. It does bring the love of God. And when not on the 9-11 someone asked, where's God in all this? And someone just passed the phrase by saying, he's there in the midst of it. And you say, well, I can't understand that. Well, maybe we can't, but he is there. Tribulation. Josephus records no other city ever suffered such miseries, nor was a generation more fruitful in wickedness since the beginning of the world. These experiences are still part of our world, not so much here, but in other parts of the world. How, how then... How then should we be? Is it wrong to have pleasures? Is it wrong to have enjoyment? Is it wrong to know peace? No. This is all the fruit of the gospel. And this is what Peter was trying to say. Now look, in all this that's happening, there is a living hope. A living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In God's economy, death is not an end and a final situation. Neither is suffering and persecution. There's so much more beyond. I think it was Columbus who went on his search. He came to the point, I forget the story really, so you have to forgive me on those points, but he, he came back and I think he, he had it inscribed on the coin, um, there's more beyond, there's more beyond this. You'll have to read the story, I can't remember it now. But, yeah, death and suffering is not the final outcome. There's always a way through. There's a way through. And whatever we're going through this morning, God wants to forge a path, a way through. A way through. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. God wants to take you through with you in it and bring you out the other side with rejoicing and integrity. That's what Peter's saying here. Now you say you have faith, God will prove that and test it. Not because he wants to, but I'm going to use this to do that. Just like he's using situations for each of us today. And recently, God will bring us through. So the problem is actually the story. The problem is the story. However, the story is in two parts. Just like Joseph, they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. They meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And I know other people here who've experienced difficulties in their life because of other people. They meant it for evil or meant the concept of it, was meant to destroy you. They say God meant it for good. So these, old, these people brought to us in the Bible, Joseph, what his brothers did to him, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. <coughs> earthquakes. I've talked about earthquakes. In Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world 
as a testimony. What does that say? Testimony is a kingdom sign to all nations. So as these shattered people were scattered, they were preaching the gospel and speaking the gospel, and Jesus said, that which is happening is a sign to all nations. It's a kingdom sign to all nations. And in those words in Matthew 24, when Jesus was talking about how the people should react, and he was saying, you'll experience all this difficulty and all this trouble, but the gospel will be preached as a kingdom sign in all the world. In all the world. And in Matthew 24, it says this about, and we've had it this morning, in all these things, Jesus said, these are just the birth pains. These are just the birth pains. Something more wonderful and more dynamic than you can ever experience is happening because of these disasters and because of this situation in the earth. Something more wonderful is happening because these things are happening. Jesus said, these are just, they're only the birth pains. It's a difficult concept to understand when we're going to it. When we're going through all sorts of situations, it's difficult to grasp the concept for myself that whilst it's difficult and whilst it's hard, God is doing something. God is doing something. And we may not see it. But it's happening. It's happening. And we will come, something victorious will happen because of it. Strangely enough, in the space of approximately 40 years, which actually coincided with the fall of Jerusalem, the spread of Christianity was, at this point, unstoppable. And it still is. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It was unstoppable and still is. Not only had it moved physically throughout the earth, but it had moved dynamically. It was changing societies. It was changing the thinking of powerful men. It was bringing peace and peace was coming through it was happening. The gospel was changing the earth, and it still will do. We sing that song, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. I can't remember the rest, so somebody will do. I'm sure the rest has just gone from my mind. But there you go. You know what I'm saying, don't you? At that point... It was unstoppable. The year AD 70, when the temple was torn to the ground, the gospel was unstoppable. It was dynamic. And it's the same today. People talk about the threats, you know, from other religions and things like that. But the gospel is unstoppable and the church is being built. And so where had it reached? Well, it reached Asia Minor because this is where it was, Greece, Italy, Scythia going north from the Danube to the borders of China, Ethiopia going south, Parthia, 
taken in um, Kazakhstan, southern Russia, and Ukraine, Corsicus, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Smarsha, Ukraine, Belarus, Poland, to, uh, going further than that into the Baltic, Spain, and Britain by the year AD 70. When God was closing down his old covenant, the gospel was unstoppable and had reached Britain. I think the amazing work of the spread of the gospel is so wonderful. And so it's difficult, isn't it, for us to get into Peter? It's difficult to understand what Peter's trying to say. Very difficult. But we've seen a little bit about what it was like. But you see, what is the point? The story, the story is actually the problem, but what is the point? It is simply that Peter's trying to encourage them into the priceless contract they'd entered into with Jesus Christ to keep them and sustain them through the most difficult experience that they could ever go through. What does he say? Therefore be holy, for I am holy. <laughs> that doesn't sound very encouraging to me. It doesn't seem to give me much. But what Peter was saying is, the way that you can be strengthened, press into God, and work out your salvation with respect, with an understanding, and with trembling. We need sometimes just to tremble at what God's doing. If you get trying to get my drift, because sometimes we don't approach what God has done for us in Jesus Christ with the respect that it's due. But sometimes it seems to be an element of seriousness about what we do. Be holy for I am holy. What's Peter saying? Press into God and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Someone said holiness is not the way to Christ, but Christ is the way to holiness. Holiness is not the way to Christ, but Christ is the way to holiness. And it says, be holy because I'm holy. So it's possible. It's not an unreachable thing. It's not something which is outside the possibility of people. And when Peter says, be holy, because, you know, recalling the words of God, be holy because I'm holy, he is saying this is an issue which is both personal and practical. You know, sometimes when we look at the, the images and the pictures of how people try to picture holiness, it's the halo, isn't it, on the head, and sort of an unreal picture, something which is not what God's trying to say. Really, that's what it's about. Holiness is both personal and practical. So Peter says, therefore, because what I've said before, you know, this salvation which is so great, and so real, and so wonderful. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. And of course, the phrase you very often hear in society is, well, I can't help it, it just happens. 
But one of the great things the Holy Spirit wants to affect in our life is self-control. And this will affect disciplines in our life which will help us and guard us and keep us. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's going to be revealed. And, you know, we're going to see him as he is. Set your hope on that. Don't look to now only, but look to the future. And so as Peter approaches them, holiness is both personal and practical. We can take examples from others from Scripture. David prayed because he saw he had a problem in his heart. He said, create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. Hey, can you imagine what it was like when these people were irritable and unsettled, not knowing what was going to happen today, not what's going to happen tomorrow? No one could really say, well, I've worked in this, I've got this security, that I've worked in this place for 45 years. It's a stability for me. It's an anchor for me. No one could say that. No one could say, I live there. Maybe some could. That's my house. That's my home. And yet we have all these wonderful things. Let's appreciate what God has given us and appreciate it every day. Give thanks to God every day. Rejoice in him for what he's done and for what we have. Largely what we have is the result of what God has given believers through knowledge and through revelation and understanding and skill and ability. That's how the gospel's spreading too. And God gives it to us. God gives it to people, and we have all these benefits. But as we've done this morning, we remember those in the place of suffering. We see others in the place of suffering, and we try and learn what's the sustaining point of their lives, of this salvation. That which undergirds them through difficulties, that which helps them, that which encourages them, Joseph fought the fight of faith as he resisted the seductive temptress. He fought the fight of faith. That's difficult. You know, the images we get on our television are enough to make us fight the fight of faith. I know that of personal experience. You can watch images on the television And those images can go through your mind half the night sometimes. And in the end, you so believe it and enjoy it that it can be destructive in our lives. The seductive temptress is still at work and still very prevalent. But Joseph fought. He fought the fight of faith. He got into trouble because of it. He got into difficulty because of it. And sometimes that happens. But God was in that too. God was in that too. True Christians can experience a unique spiritual strengthening through the most abominable suffering. So Peter is saying, be the holy that you are. God's made you holy, now be it. You're holy. 
Meet up to what you are. Model your behaviour on what you know of God's character. So holiness is not just only about, you know, going to church and, and doing right things. It's actually being positive in the character of God. Like being merciful. Show mercy. Peter said, love one another deeply from the heart. And it's probably easy for us to love one another. And sometimes we put on a, a bit of a sham and a bit, a bit, of, a, a bit of a face and we, we, we make out, we're, we're not really like that. And so it's maybe easier sometimes for us to love one another. But Peter's saying, love each other deeply. And these people, these Christians had to do that. They had to lose, love them through irritability and mood swings. They had to love them through all sorts of reaction and action. Maybe fighting. Maybe they'd fight one another at times. Maybe they'd tussle over the things. That's mine. No, it's not. That's mine. We don't know. These things around create sort of reactions and reactions when, it's, when the going gets tough. The tough needs to get going. Love each other deeply from the heart was Peter's word. And that's difficult in difficult situations. It's probably easier for us. Sometimes it isn't, I know. But that's what he's saying. What he's saying is, be holy that you are. Know the God's character. Be merciful. Be true. Hold to the grace and truth in a workable ideal. Hold to grace and hold to truth. I'm reminded of the story of the criminal who was tried by his friend, the judge. This book was written by Vic Jacobson. And how that um, this criminal had a friend who was the judge. And the criminal came into court and the criminal thought, ah, well, surely the judge will let me off. But he didn't. There's quite a hefty fine the criminal was given. And he thought, he's not my friend anymore. But after the court was dismissed, the judge took off his wig, he took off his gown, and he came round to the criminal, and he wrote him a cheque for the amount that he'd been fined, holding grace and truth in a workable ideal. That's what God does. We sinned, and we do sin. And sometimes we suffer for it, sometimes we don't. But our punishment was laid on Jesus. It's almost like Jesus has paid the price for us. He's done it all. Grace and truth and a workable ideal. Sometimes, and I'm just going to finish, sometimes people create their own idea of being holy and get into problems because of it. Sometimes it happens at New Year. Sometimes it happens at Lent, and people think, oh, because we do these things, it's going to make us more holy. I'm not saying everybody does that, but it can be a wrong road that we go down. We sort of get the wrong concept of what holiness is about, and we, we, we do our own thing. There was a, a quite a famous man, I don't know his name now, he was a Christian, and he wouldn't walk through St. James's Park on a Sunday, because I, he said, I don't want to be the cause of people having to work on a Sunday. That's, I think, a little bit going down the wrong road. But he was working out his own idea of holiness. And sometimes we can put 
Must I see things into our life which are not necessary? And we sort of lose what the concept of holiness is really about when it's really about working out God's character in our lives to praise God and for the blessing of others. If salvation is God's free gift, what does it matter how we live? All the New Testament writers in some way endorse how immensely important it is. In fact, we can tell whether someone's faith is real by how they live. That's really what Peter was saying. You need to press into God. You need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, both in personal ways and in practical ways. Father, we thank you. Lord, we really want to be upheld and sustained by the wonder of our salvation. And I pray that it will be really real for us this week. Whatever situation we face, however difficult we may find it, in the choices we make, things that go through our minds, Father, we pray that we may rest on what Jesus has done for us and know the inexpressible joy in the midst of abominable suffering. Maybe if that comes to us or not. But for those in Haiti, we again just endorse our praying and say that out of all this mess, Lord, would there be an inexpressible joy come to many in that land we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.